From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good evening. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council. Hope you have had a fantastic week, and we are honored to have you on board with us. We've got a tremendous program lined up for you. Let me begin by sharing some of the highlights. As you probably are aware by now, tomorrow marks the first anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's a day that so many of us, so many of you, have prayed for and worked for literally for decades for the Lord to deliver. And we are so grateful that he did. But while we are celebrating, Democrat backers of the abortion industry have certainly made their intentions very clear. We are not going to stop until Roe versus Wade is the law of the land once again. That was Colorado Congresswoman Diana DeGette from a uh, press event that she was involved with earlier today. And with the Democrats making their battle plans very clear, the question is how can we can, can how can we continue to build a culture of life? We must continue working towards that. I'll be discussing it and more with Congressman Tim Wahlberg here in just a few moments. And the American Federation of Teachers continues its cozy relationship with the Biden administration. Its union president, Randy Weidgartner, you may remember her. She was one of the loudest voices to uh, produce school closures during the pandemic. You remember all of that. Schools closed all over the country. She was the one pushing that. Well, she was recently appointed to a Department of Homeland Security Advisory Board. Well, what in the world could be the purpose of that? FRC's Meg Kilgannon will join me and explain that. And this week, NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines testified before Senate Judiciary Committee about competing against biological males in women's sports. In addition to being forced to give up our awards and our titles and our opportunities, the NCAA forced me and my female swimmers to swim to share a locker room with Thomas a six-foot-four, 22-year-old male equipped with and exposing male genitalia. Let me be clear about this. We were not forewarned we would be sharing a locker room. No one asked for our consent, and we did not give our consent. An extremely emotional testimony that she gave. Well, I'll be joined by two other NCAA women's sports athletes to discuss and to hear their story as they are standing for truth. And while Americans are being bombarded on all sides with the LGBT agenda, a new poll shows that despite all the propaganda, a growing number of Americans will not deny scientific and biological reality. FRC Action's Matt Carpenter will join me to explain. So we've got a tremendous program lined up for you today. And just a reminder, our website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can catch this program as well as many others in our archives. So we encourage you to check that out. And as we celebrate, by the way, this first anniversary of the Dobbs decision, some of you saw, some of you perhaps missed. This week, Family Research Council hosted a town hall for life in Des Moines, Iowa. In that was our very own president, uh, Tony Perkins. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham was there and many others. But if you missed it, well, I've got good news for you tonight. NRB TV, 
is going to air the Iowa Town Hall at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So again, if you miss the event, you can catch it tonight at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern on NRB TV. So we encourage you to grab that. All right, let's jump on to our first topic. As we've already talked about, tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and returned that battle to build a culture of life to the people and their elected representatives. So many people prayed for that day, and I know that you're celebrating its anniversary just as much as I am. But the question is, what's next for the pro-life movement? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Tim Wahlberg. He serves on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, as well as the Committee on Education and Workforce. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Michigan. Congressman Wahlberg, always great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, it's good to be with you. It's always great to see you, and I, I must admit we miss you here. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate that. But uh, listen, we're, we're grateful for the incredible work that you and so many others are continuing to do. And I, I just want to get your, your comments here. You've been a great leader for life for a long, long time. As you well know, tomorrow is the one-year anniversary since Roe v. Wade was overturned. If you can, let's just begin our discussion with your general thoughts on this occasion. Well, Jody, that, that was the reason, and I think I told you at some point in time that that was what led me out of the pastorate, uh, kind of like a Jonah initially, but uh, found a new mission field, uh, and it was on the issue of life. In the state of Michigan, we were funding abortions through our Medicaid dollars, and uh, I took out a Republican uh, incumbent to who, who supported the funding of abortions with Medicaid dollars. Uh, to take his seat and ultimately had the privilege of giving the speech on the floor of the Michigan House when we ended Medicaid funding abortion. Uh, Michigan was one of the first pro-life states in 1931 to end abortion in Michigan. So sad. We can rejoice about Roe v. Wade finally being overturned. But subsequent to that, Michigan, in the last election, overturned life and now has laws in the state of Michigan that really are equal to California. So we've got a lot of work to do, but we still rejoice in the fact that uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. A year ago yesterday, Jane's Revenge vandalized my campaign office as well as the Right to Life office above us uh, in, in an attempt to try to quell pro-life attitude. Well, we're going to fight back. It's been interesting. The Justice Department, Merrick Garland, has never looked into the vandalism of pro-life offices, of uh, pro-life legislators' offices all around the country, including my own. Uh, but that shows that we need to push back and gain the hearts and minds of people again. Yeah, and that's such a problem. I'm so glad you brought that up, Tim, because actually I had forgotten that. But yeah, it's been a year since that vandalism, and we've seen similar incidents like that all across the country with very little uh, guilt coming out of it or prosecutions of any type. And again, that illustrates the two-tiered system of justice that we're watching. But let, let's uh, continue on this discussion of life because you bring up an extremely important point that we're, we're watching a shift. And this, this uh, decision from the Supreme Court does not just send this back to the states. It is still a federal issue. Uh, that needs to be addressed on the 
national level as well as the state level, and people need to understand the importance of this. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and other Democrats made that very clear at their press conference even today that the Democrats want to pass a pro-abortion law at the federal level. So it's important that all of us understand the battle continues on all fronts, state as well as federal. So how can Republicans continue there in D.C. and nationally, statewide, to work on and build a culture of life? Well, Joe, that's a great question. And I think the Democrats, of course, want to get um, abortion back front and center because they believe that's the means by which they win elections. We saw college students turned out at University of Michigan, Michigan State, other large campuses in Michigan uh, by the hundreds and thousands beyond what they normally would in the last election, all on that one issue, abortion. So that would cause a lot of our pro-life people, especially legislators, to fear that and try to downplay it. I think we have to be honest and we have to tell the people, listen, that's what the Democrats are doing. They want to put fear in that we are going to do something that isn't saving life, but it is. And I think that's the reason why we have to talk to our young people uh, with compassion. Uh, follow the science, of course, because they've been told to follow the science on COVID, on climate change, and everything else. Uh, follow the science and you will see that we can restore your choice, your opportunity, your freedom, but within the confines of things that work, that, that put you in a place of success in your life, nothing to impinge upon you or hold you back uh, as a result of bad decisions that uh, voices out there like Randy Weingarten and others are trying to put forward that if you just do anything you want to do, you're going to be okay. Well, we found that, that that doesn't work. So we in the pro-life movement need to smile more. We need to show compassion, but we need to speak to the truth as well and show how it can develop people's lives for success and long-term satisfaction as opposed to just simply allowing the other side to say, we're going to take away uh, something from you. No, they're taking away life from you. And there's nothing more precious than that. You know, uh, Tony and myself and several others are in a conversation today, and he actually brought up this tragedy with the submarine. We lost five individuals on that submarine, and there was some indication perhaps they were uh, tapping that was being heard and all that. But Tony brought up the great point that here we have babies by the hundreds of thousands tapping on the wombs of their mothers for life. And whereas we give so much attention, as well we should have, to defend and protect and rescue those in the submarine, the same passion needs to be for defending the life of innocent children like this. And I, again, want to thank you for your commitment to that, uh, Congressman Wahlberg. If I can real quickly switch topics, though, you brought up an interesting situation uh, with your own office a year ago, and now we're hearing uh, new allegations from IRS whistleblowers that the Justice Department, uh, as well as the Delaware uh, attorney, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, literally interfered with the IRS investigation into the Hunter Biden. Uh, play clip two, please. Not one, but two IRS employees are blowing the whistle with evidence that the federal government is not treating taxpayers equally when enforcing tax laws. In your opinion, is this more evidence of a two-tiered system of justice that we're watching unfold before our eyes? Absolutely. It's, it's coming clear now. And, of course, when uh, we were in the majority or the minority in the House as Republicans, 
they did not fear investigations because it just wouldn't happen. And the media uh, didn't have to cover anything. Now they still don't want to. But when you have uh, a number of committees, three specifically now, that are looking at the issue of, of, of the um, um, unequal justice, it's not simply Hunter Biden. And it's not even simply the president and his involvement, as we're seeing more and more. It's the issue that uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general of the United States and the Justice Department, including people like uh, uh, FBI Director Ray, uh, put their thumbs on the scale in the last number of years to make sure that their side won and that it looked bad for the other side. That's not going to take place now because, frankly, the, the national media can only hold off reporting so long on some of this stuff. And then when you have whistleblowers with corroborating material, including including videos, including um, emails, including phone conversations that are coming out and attaching various parts of, of this, this scheme together, uh, I think the American people are gonna see that something is rotten in Denmark, as they say, and sadly, it's in Washington, D.C. Well, I certainly hope you're right with that. I, you know, I mean, we, even this week, the Biden administration broke the law regard, regarding uh, the information on the origins of COVID. Uh, and the yeah. disregard for law is just, uh, it, it's frightening when you see it at the very top levels like this. Congressman Tim Wahlberg, always great to see you. Great congressman, former pastor. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. You as well. Thank you. All right, friends, we've got much more straight ahead. You don't want to miss it. Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies at FRC, will be joining me next. Stay tuned. Right after this break, we'll be back. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace the their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Welcome aboard. All right, you just heard Congressman Tim Wahlberg a few moments ago make reference to Randy Weingartner, uh, Weingarten, who is the head of uh, one of the nation's largest teachers' union. Well, Weingarten was just recently named to an advisory council for the Department of Homeland Security. And you may remember this is the same person uh, and the American Federation of Teachers who influenced the CDC on school closures during the COVID pandemic. And of course, that created all sorts of problems. Weingartner also defended the uh, SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, as it recently placed parent groups into their hate map. Now, this is the very hate map and I know you've heard us talk about this before, but this hate map is dangerous. It's the very thing that inspired a domestic terrorist to attempt a mass shooting here at the Family Research Council in the D.C. headquarters. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Meg Kilgannon, a senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to have you. It's great to see you, Jody. Well, thank you so much. Let's begin. Some people may not be familiar with the DHS Academic Council and why Randy Weingarten is on this. But what what is this council and what's it all about? Well, um, DHS stands for the Department of Homeland Security, and um, it, you know, was originally started in the aftermath of 9-11 as part of the the Patriot Act and and that effort to keep America safe. And the fact that we have this going on at that agency right now, I think is incredibly disturbing. And part of this this, um, segment of the department is is going to be adjudicating, you know, information, not just what's given to our children, but what there'll be, you know, this classification of disinformation, misinformation, malinformation. Um, I think a lot of parents have been making those kinds of judgments about the curriculum their children are getting, and we've been put on hate lists for it. 
But um, now we see that the government is going to set up its own um, adjudication system. And, um, you know, I think that there'll be more political fallout to follow. Yeah, it's another frightful step in the wrong direction that this administration continues to go against the liberties and freedoms of the American people. And in this case, parents, parents yes. to be concerned about their, their own children. And here's Randy uh, Weingarten, who was so involved in school closures, an absolute failure, I think fair to say, in so many ways, and now being placed in this position, that in itself is a, a dangerous red flag that goes up with me. Don't you think this is just another example of, uh, I, I don't know, a cozy relationship, you might put it that way, between the Biden administration and the American Federation of Teachers? Absolutely it is. I mean, you know, Dr. Jill Biden is herself a, a teacher, right? And so um, that relationship is quite cozy. And the American Federation of Teachers is a, a union. It um, is, I believe, AFL-CIO affiliated. Um, it, it, it is absolutely the the um, arms and legs, hands and feet of the Democrat Party, and um, the Bidens know that, and Democrats understand this. And um, you know, it's no coincidence that we have polling places in public schools. Um, it, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just makes it very convenient for people who want to be in those situations to be a part of the process in a very effective way. And teachers unions certainly have been an, an absolutely effective advocate for the Democratic Party for many, many years. Yeah, in so many ways, financially and otherwise. Uh, but that's a, a, that's a great point and, and a word picture, if you will, the way you describe that. I, another thing that concerns me, and we mentioned it briefly, but I'd like to get your thoughts on this, and Mike Garten uh, came to the defense of the SPLC, uh, mm. And, and their labeling uh, as uh, of parents as part of this hate group list that they have. How in the world can this be? The SP, uh, SPLC uh, placing parents who are concerned about their children on a hate list. How do you respond to that? Well, it, it, it's really um, they, they become more and more extreme as the years pass. And for some reason, they seem to gain credibility in the Democratic Party the more extreme the SPLC becomes. I mean, they started out with this hate list um, being for essentially neo-Nazi, white supremacist, Aryan nation type groups, which we can all agree are founded on an ideology of hate. Um, and then they started putting groups like Family Research Council on the list because we were a quote unquote LGBT hate group. Right. And so now immediately conflating those two things as the same is an incredible insult to to us, a, a, a terrible besmirching of our good name. Right. And the people who support our organization by default. And so the fact that they've expanded this list now to be to include parents, you know, we at the Family Research Council, we know we're working in Washington, D.C. We're we're not really, you know, civilians, so to speak. We know we're in a political fight. We know if we want to have a friend, we should get a dog, right? We expect to be called names to some degree, right? The hate list is a is a extreme weaponization of that, but but we know what we're signing up for. To put Moms for Liberty on this list and to put the parents groups on this list that are simply trying to help parents mobilize 
against forces like the ATF who are in the schools dictating what happens to their children every day is just beyond arrogant at, at, at best. I mean, it is just a hateful weaponization of what is every parent's instinct to protect their children. To classify that impulse as hate is just disgusting. And Absolutely. for her to defend that is beyond the pale. But her job Absolutely. is to defend the teachers' unions, defend defend the adults, right? And so it's up to parents to defend the children. Absolutely. And the SPLC, we all know, has pushed all sorts of horrible uh, ideologies within the school. And yet this week, and we've only got about 30 seconds, the nation's report card came out, which was horrifying. Uh, in yes. 15 seconds, what did that uh, scorecard say? The, the lower lowest scores on record in some cases, everything is in decline. And um, part of the problem is that people are more focused on ideology. And groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center have been pumping that ideology into the classroom for years. We wrote a paper on it. It's at our website. I'm sure it's at TonyPerkins.com as a resource. Um, th but this this is exactly the problem with with America's public schools and why we really need parents to engage and get involved in the system. Your tax dollars are paying for it. We're going to have to wrap it up there. Meg Kilgannon, thank you so much for joining us. Friends, coming up, the transgender agenda continues. We'll be talking to a couple of women sports athletes about their experience. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. An honor to be with you, and thank you for joining us on this Friday edition. Well, this week, the Senate Judiciary Committee heard testimony from Riley Gaines. She's the NCAA uh, swimmer who was forced to compete 
against a biological male at the 2022 Women's Swimming Championships. And earlier this year, you may also recall, an angry mob at the San Francisco State University literally barricaded Riley Gaines in a room, uh, threatening violence against her, holding her ransom for speaking on this topic. Folks, that's the type of courage it requires these days to speak out on something like this. Well, joining me now to discuss her experience competing against biological males as well as her speaking out publicly about this issue is Harvard University NCAA swimmer Abby Carr. Abby, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you again. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, listen, it takes courage, and you have certainly demonstrated that to speak out on this topic. Um, I'm sure you saw uh, Riley's testimony this week. What were your thoughts about that? Absolutely. Well, first of all, we all have to just uh, continue to pray for Riley as she speaks out. Um, she receives quite a bit of backlash from the left, and she has called a number of heinous and vile insults weekly. She's called a puppet of the right. She's called um, just a puppet of right-wing, far-right organizations. And she's continuing to do vital work. Um, yesterday, her testimony was incredibly powerful. She stood strong. She said her story. And it was, it was so uh, just inspiring to hear her stand true in her convictions. It really is. But you also have quite an experience competing against uh, biological males. Give us some of your experiences. Yeah, absolutely. My team and I have um, we have competed against transgender athletes, and uh, I, I would like to say we we have to navigate this uh, topic carefully and gracefully. Um, like many tough issues, it isn't as strictly black and white as a uh, as we want it to be, and the solutions often they do exist in the gray area. Um, and and I want to do say I, I do my heart goes out to so many transgender athletes that do deal with higher mental health rates than the rest of the country, but. Just as they have uh, inherent dignity and worth as individuals, we have to then recognize the, the empirical reality that women's sports are being threatened when biological males compete against women. And Leah Thomas is a biological male. And um, today, as we, as we reflect on the, uh, the 51st anniversary, I believe it is, of Title IX is today, um, we, we want to really recognize that biological males are fundamentally different from women. And, and that's, that is a, an empirical reality that is never going to change. Absolutely. And I remember having a discussion with you about that there at the uh, Family Research Council meeting and your experiences, even as a young swimmer, and coming to the realization that, yeah. uh, that you're, you're just not going to be able to compete against a biological male at, at certain times. Their muscles continue to grow uh, and so forth. Uh, I'd like to play a clip from Riley's testimony and get your reaction to this. Uh, play clip five, please. And I want to mention really briefly, the rewrite of Title IX is an abomination. It is equating sex to gender identity, which means men would live in dorm rooms with women. Men could take full or men would have full access to bathrooms, changing areas, locker rooms. Yes. Uh, so. A little bit, I can't remember if it was before or after that clip precisely, Ted Cruz asks, is there a difference between women and men? And he asked the, uh, the human rights campaign representative this question, and she evades it for uh, quite a bit of time, actually. It's, it's really a riveting clip, if you uh, get the chance to watch it. Um, and she even says sex is different from gender. She says that phrase. And even if sex is different from gender, then we can recognize that regardless of how you identify, 
men and women are different. It isn't anti-feminist to recognize the blunt reality. Men and women are different. We are putting women's safety at risk if men are in women's locker rooms, and we're also just violating the integrity of sport. That would be my reaction. Yeah, and, and just real quickly, um, so what was what was your realization moment? You competed against uh, younger boys, and but there came a point where you realized it's just not going to work any longer. Yeah, absolutely. At a Moms for America conference, I gave a very brief anecdote, one that is really just statistics. And, you know, afterwards I got called transphobic, transphobic, homophobic, every other phobic I didn't know existed in the book. Um, But what I said was in 2015, more or less, I was beating pretty much every boy I raced. And I held a record in the 200 butterfly that was faster than the men's record at the time, boys' record at the time. This past year, well, actually in 2022 at conference, I went a 157. The top male went a 142. You do the math, those times are almost an entire body length apart. So at the age of 13, it was pretty obvious to me, even though I wasn't an elected representative, I certainly wasn't a member of Congress, and I wasn't uh, President Biden. It was very obvious to me at that point in time that I was no longer going to be competitive with men in the way I had been before puberty. It's amazing. Well, let's, uh, real quickly, we've got about 30 seconds or so left. This is more about, uh, not just about sports. It's about protecting women and women's private spaces as well, correct? Absolutely, it is. I believe um, there is nothing wrong, despite what the left will tell you, with understanding that men and women, we are fundamentally different. And it isn't anti-feminist to acknowledge that. Absolutely. Abby Gaines, thank you for your incredible testimony and the incredible courage that you have exhibited stepping up to the plate to deal with this uh, extremely, Abby Carr, I'm sorry, uh, for this this issue. Uh, you're doing an incredible job, a great service, and we're deeply grateful. Thank you for joining us on thank Washington Thank you so much Watch. for having me. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right, friends, after the break, we're going to continue this discussion uh, about women's sports. We have a, another NCAA volleyball player, Macy Petty, who will be joining me. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries, all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you joining us this evening. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. All right, for 40 years, the Family Research Council's mission has been to champion biblical truth in public policy and culture and as we are approaching the end of our fiscal year, which concludes in June, the new year begins for us in July, we're asking you to prayerfully consider partnering with us to rebuild America's spiritual foundations of faith, family, and freedom. And just tell you this, if you will come on board and join us for a gift of $7 or more, uh, we want to send you Tony's new study guide, Nehemiah, Rebuilding a Nation. Again, we'll send that to you uh, digitally for any gift of $7 or more. Listen, our country's at a crisis point, and we all need to partner together and join us. And we ask you to prayerfully consider doing so. You can join us by calling 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or text the word GIVE to 67742. Together through the power of God, the favor of God, and working together, we're going to rebuild the walls of our nation. So thank you in advance for prayerfully considering joining and partnering with us. All right, continuing our discussion about women's sports and how they've become really a microcosm for the transgender agenda and their attempt to literally erase categories for women and women's spaces. Uh, I'm joined now by NCAA volleyball player Macy Petty. Macy, welcome so much for Washington Watch. Great to have you on board with us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Well, listen, uh, we I'm sure you likewise saw the discussion uh, during the Senate Judiciary hearing 
consisting of all well, Riley Gaines, but uh, there were witnesses there that the Democrats had who were refusing to acknowledge that there is a biological difference between men and women. Have you experienced this type of thing or what basically what is your experience in all of this? I have. I have experienced this argument. And honestly, they are uh, hard set on avoiding biological truths. They can't answer a simple question, which is which is just why are sports separated to begin with? I play volleyball and men's volleyball nets are over seven inches higher than female volleyball nets. No one can tell you why, because it's biological truths. And when you admit that there's biological differences between men and women, you know that a male playing against females is just inherently unfair. Well, I'm sure you're very much aware of the sad story, speaking of volleyball, of a volleyball woman uh, player who suffered a concussion when she took a spike from a biological male in the, in the uh, head, injured her neck. Uh, you know, do those who are pushing this LGBT agenda, this transgender agenda, all this sort of stuff, simply want to ignore those kinds of realities and those stories? That is exactly what they're doing. I, uh, I actually am from South Carolina, but I played volleyball in North Carolina for a club there, and I had to play against a biological male myself who identified as a transgender woman, therefore was allowed to exempt from the basic rules of volleyball and play on a volleyball, girls' volleyball net, and um, we lost. And it was pretty embarrassing, and I went around testifying. But the North Carolina legislature had opportunities to passed Save Women's Sports bills, but they said it was a non-issue. They said it wasn't happening. They said it was just being hateful. And then you have stories like Peyton's, like you just said, where these girls are being hurt uh, just because they won't accept that this is happening. Uh, we're seeing stories like Leah Thomas, where girls are losing championships and losing scholarships and losing these opportunities. But these people won't admit that these are happening. Look around. It's happening all around us. Well, it is happening. And we have come so far over the decades with women's athletics across the board. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though to me, and I'd like to know your reaction if you feel the same way, but it seems as though the carpet is just being pulled out from underneath all the advancements that have been gained through, uh, in regard to women's sports. It seems like so much of that now is being threatened to be totally eradicated mm -hmm. as these biological males are being welcomed to come in and just dominate, literally, in so many sports. That is so true. Today is the 51st anniversary of President Richard Nixon signing Title IX, and that is a great thing and something that should be championed. Uh, but we look around, and instead of celebrating, we're seeing, like you said, it's being erased. People are hap happily championing male athletes coming in and taking away these opportunities that Title IX has protected for 51 years. And it just shows how how dead set they are on this ideology, and they're willing to erase 51 years of progress uh, in their allegiance to it. They really are. So uh, people ask me, and I, I want to ask you, because uh, this is important, this seems to be a rather new phenomenon. I don't recall this type of stuff happening when I was younger, uh, but now it seems as though more and more biological males are transgendering, identifying and as a result, participating in women's sports. Uh, what is your experience of that? Does this appear to be not only a rather new phenomenon, but a growing one? 
it is absolutely growing, and that's kind of the nature of sports. Like I said, I started testifying on this issue about two and a half years ago. It was my freshman year of college, and nobody would listen to me. Nobody would pass these Save Girls sports bills. They were saying I was making it up, just trying to find things to complain about. But now you look around, and it's too late in some, in some circumstances. Riley Gaines already came in fifth um, and had to give up that, that trophy to Leah. Um, Peyton already has these severe head and neck injuries. All of these things have already happened, and people are still denying it. But that's the nature of sports, right? If you're a college coach, your job is dependent on you being able to beat your opponent. And if your opponent is a biological male, you're going to have a whole lot easier time beating that opponent if you also go out and recruit a biological male. So this is just a slippery slope, and uh, we need to put a stop to it now before more girls get hurt. Well, wow, that's a great perspective when you look at the slippery slope being uh, involving the pressure placed on mm -hmm. coaches to win. Uh, and winning becomes everything at that level. And so coaches probably are oftentimes at least willing to, to take on a biological male mm -hmm. in women's sports because they've got to get the win. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, there is, in addition to the struggle of the whole issue of biological men in the sports, people like you who are stepping up and speaking about this, uh, pushing back, you're also receiving a lot of pressure just for standing up for the rights of women. Uh, first of all, thank you for the courage. Thank you for taking a stand. Uh, we we are grateful for that. But why do you think there is such resistance to people like you for standing up? Well, they are pushing this uh, rhetoric that we are only out here to hate, and that is so not true. We want everyone to be able to play sports. I have seen so many amazing success stories because of sports, and I think that that's something that we need to protect. And everyone can, can play sports, and we can preserve that opportunity as long as we preserve sex-based protections. That is the only way that we can continue this momentum that we've had for 51 years now. Um, we have to be able to allow male and females alike to play sports, um, and no one is exempt from the basic rules of sex-based protections that you have have to play according to your sex. Thank you so much, Macy Petty. You are a, a great athlete, but also a great American, and we're grateful for you taking such a courageous stand, and thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. All right, if you're a longtime viewer or listener to Washington Watch, you'll know that we've been drawing attention to state legislation that's aimed at protecting minors from gender mutilation. And the first state to pass such a law actually was Arkansas. Uh, they did so about two years ago. In fact, they really started what's going to be known as the SAFE Act, Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. It's going to be known as the SAFE Act. Uh, well, as I discussed yesterday, a federal judge struck down that law, literally ignoring science, ignoring the biological reality of the difference between men and women. But... That's the bad news, but the good news is that there is a growing number of Americans who are embracing reality, that your sex is the one that you were born with. Well, joining me now to talk about this new survey that's out is Matt Carpenter. He's the director of FRC Action. Matt, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thanks for having me on, Jody. Great to be with you. 
Well, it's my pleasure indeed. Well, listen, tell us about the survey. This is extremely interesting as well as encouraging. What does it say? Yeah. So this Wednesday, uh, NPR and PBS teamed up for a poll with Marist. Now, Marist is not known as a conservative polling outfit, uh, and they released a survey of 1,300 adults, and they asked them a wide range of questions related to how do you feel about the candidates for president, how do you feel about the direction of the country, the, the, the way the president, uh, his, his performance. And then they threw in a question about how do you think we should define male and female? And this is where it gets interesting, Jody. They found that 61% of Americans uh, agree with the statement that uh, we need to be defining uh, male and female as the biological sex as identified on a person's original birth certificate. And the reason why this is significant, uh, Jody, is because this is actually a 10-point swing from where this was last year, when just 50%, I mean, can you believe it, 50% of people uh, were not clear that we needed to, to define male and female on the basis of biological sex. So, you know, I, I was listening to uh, your interview with Macy and, and Abby, and this, this thing that had been kind of abstract and academic for a while is starting to settle in for people. They're starting to see the consequences of this ideology. And I think that kind of explains why we see a 10-point swing in the direction of sanity on this issue. Yeah, great point, Matt. I, I was looking over uh, some of the results of the survey as well. And that very thing, likewise, jumped out to me. A 10-point swing is enormous in such a short period of time, and I agree with you. It's people like Riley Gaines and, and Abby and Macy and so many of these others who are experiencing what they're experiencing, and, and not to mention what's going on with children and the attack on parents and all of this stuff combined, and people are beginning to say enough is enough, and we're watching this expressed through Target or Bud Light or whoever it may be. People are just kind of saying uh, they're waking up to reality and saying enough of this nonsense, what is happening in our country. Uh, and so that 10-point swing is enormous to me. But the, this survey is not alone in its findings. And, and there's, there's uh, what else is going on out there with this? Well, you know, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, you pointed out the, the economic impacts of some of these companies that have kind of, they've gone over their skis, to put it, uh, I think, a little kindly to them. Um, they've, gone, they've gone fully off the cliff on some of this LGBT promotion stuff during Pride Month. And so you're seeing this economic impact on this as well, where, where week after week, Bud Lights, sales are declining, you know, by double digits. I think their, their um, Memorial Day sales were down, I think, around 60%. Uh, Target is just seeing tens of billions of dollars evaporate. And let's not forget what happened to Disney World um, after they picked a fight with the governor of Florida over common sense legislation that just said, hey, let's not let's not let's not have private conversations with other people's children in public schools about controversial topics like gender identity and sexual orientation. And, you know, a lot of this is being driven by parents who are now for the first time um, getting curious about what's being taught to their to their children. They're going and speaking at school board meetings. It's tough to pinpoint exactly what was the straw that broke the camel's back, Jody, but it really feels like we're kind of getting over the hump and we're starting to kind of see the other side. We're starting to see Sandy return. We're starting to see people kind of wake up and realize this is not just some 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 fun ideas that maybe you know you can play around on a college campus. There are real world impacts to children, to female athletes. Um, and so it, people are waking up. Well, you're the director of FRC Action, and so you've got to likewise, I would think, be seeing how this is going to be impacting things politically. 
even. I, I would certainly think this is going to be a major issue for GOP primaries and beyond. Are you seeing that become a an issue, a hot topic? You know, you pointed out earlier, Jody, that 20 states have passed that some version of the SAFE Act, and you don't get to that. You don't get from three, you know, from Arkansas doing it in 2021 to 20 states two years later, uh, unless there's a political party that's willing to put some muscle behind it. And so, yes, I do. I do think the GOP um, has surveyed the territory. There, there may be a ahead of the curve here on this. And there's, they're seeing that, that, that there's, a, there's common sense things that they can do, like, for, like protect minors from uh, irreversible, harmful, and frankly, experimental cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and surgeries. And I will note, Jody, there, I was looking in the crosstabs of this poll and kind of the, the demographic specifics. When you look at younger generations too, you might think this is a generation that has just been soaked in this propaganda for years. Um, they, they're going to see it, how the left has been portraying it. Well, that's not the case, actually, Jody. 54% of millennials and Gen Zers, um, who, by the way, showed up in a big time in the 2022 midterms, agree with the idea that the only way to define male and female is this biological sex indicator that we can uh, clearly see um, is clearly observable at the moment of birth that we uh, mark on a person's original birth certificate. So, um, really, you know, this is going to be a winner if the Republican Party wants to figure out a, an issue that's on the front minds of not just parents, but younger generations that are going to be voting for the first time in droves. Yeah, I really think the left has, like you said, they've gone way over the skis on this. And, I, you know, this is a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a biblical issue. Uh, but it does have political ramifications as well. And, uh, you know, here we're coming to the Road to Majority Conference with GOP candidates over the next couple of days. You th do you expect this to be a topic there? I certainly do. I, I, I don't know who all, who all is going to be in attendance, but I'm sure that there will be candidates who are going to be talking about this issue. They'll probably be talking about the sports issue that Abby and Macy covered and, and Riley has been speaking about on, on Capitol Hill. I'm sure they're going to talk about the transing of minors. I'm sure they're going to be talking about what's going on in our schools. Um, those issues are, are near and dear to the voters' hearts, and they're in the news right now, and they're frankly winners. Well, Matt Carpenter, thank you for the incredible uh, work you do at FRC Action. Uh, thank you for coming on Washington Watch this morning, this evening, and unfolding this information to us. Thanks for having me, Jody. You bet. All right, friends, that wraps it up for this Friday edition of Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you've been informed. Hope you've been encouraged. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next week here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.